0: Hello and welcome back to another episode of LMS Cast. My name is Chris Badgett and I'm joined by a special guest, Tom Finelli from Convesio.com. How are you doing, Tom?
1: I'm doing great, Chris. Thanks for having me.
0: So Convesio is the first self-healing, auto-scaling platform as a service for creating and managing WordPress websites. It's a hosting company. Let's start there. What actually is web hosting, Tom?
1: Sure. So... In its most basic form, your website, your WordPress website, whether it be a course or a brochure for your business or an e commerce store, needs, um, let's call it real estate on the internet to be accessible worldwide 24 hours a day by anyone that might look it up via its domain name. That real estate is, it comes in many forms, but it's generally referred to as web hosting. And it can really be, The What I would call traditional um, or legacy type of hosting, uh, which is shared hosting, which is most of the time what you get at companies, uh, you know, the big companies you think of that do hosting, GoDaddy, Bluehost. Uh, And then perhaps you might graduate to a more um, resource dedicated version of that, which is called a VPS or a virtual private server. And we can go into sort of what these are more in depth, or perhaps you might graduate to something even more upscale, which is in our, in our world, managed WordPress hosting, sometimes referred to as cloud hosting. Um, That's kind of a universal term of things that don't seem to fit into, um, you know, the shared and VPS category. And then probably lastly, there's uh, flavors of hosting where you can go out and get your own dedicated machines uh, and, that seems to be sort of a shrinking niche, given all the amazing stuff providers like Google and Amazon are doing with virtual machines.
0: So what's the main difference between a VPS and managed WordPress hosting in the cloud?
1: Yeah, that's a really great question. Um, Most of the time, a VPS is, a managed WordPress hosting provider is using VPS technology. Now there's Some of them out there, they'd use a shared hosting approach. And what they do is they layer on top of that better services, better support, WordPress-specific knowledge, perhaps some optimizations in the platform that are WordPress-specific. And so when we talk about managed WordPress hosting, the biggest differentiator is those are hosts who have an offering or a business that solely focuses on wordpress. And so that focus allows them to have much more of a um better performing product than companies that are out there trying to host every CMS and static web page you known that you could have out there, right? So if you get a generic shared hosting account, you might want to put Joomla, WordPress, who knows what, on it, your own code. You get managed WordPress, you're pretty much just running WordPress.
0: That's awesome. On your website, which is at conv- Convesio.com, it says the Game Changer for WordPress. I love a good product hook and then a tagline. And I want to unpack your, your tagline, which kind of clarifies the product hook, which is Game Changer. But I want to get through a, um, a definition of terms so that we can just unpack these individually. Sure. What does self-healing mean when it comes to hosting? Like, Great. let's say we get a traffic spike and a site goes down. Is that like, if that's a problem that self-healing might help?
1: Well, that's probably more of a problem that scaling would help.
0: Auto-scaling. Okay. Auto-scaling. We'll get to that one. What's self-healing? Yeah.
1: So, what self-healing is, is so, um, you know, I'll give you a little bit of the genesis of this uh, technology that we've created. Because it's, it's, it's radically different than VPS technology and uh, shared hosting. So, we built this platform from the ground up and we really sort of reimagined what WordPress hosting would be like. I've been building websites, this is going to date me significantly, but believe it or not, the first product I ever used to start building websites was a product called Adobe Page Mill, which predates WordPress, right? And so, um, being in the, the, the business for a long time, I was personally frustrated on the solutions for hosting wordpress that they really there there was not much significant revolution in the space in terms of how we host wordpress yeah we have shared and we've got bps and we've got people doing managed wordpress you know better than what the traditional wordpress offerings are on shared But still, if you look at companies like Google and Apple and Facebook, these are companies that are using sophisticated cloud infrastructure setups that have a lot of scaling innate in them. They have uh, the ability to sort of auto-correct problems that that arise. And so that's what we mean by self-healing is the ability for the system to internally monitor its own health and then take steps that are progressively more extreme to repair uh, the the issue with, uh, I, I love this term, zero human intervention, right? Mm-hmm. It all happens automatically. So a great example of this is I was hosting with a popular managed WordPress hosting provider um, before uh, we uh, started Convesio. And one day I woke up, it was a Saturday morning, right? I started having an alert go off at 5 a.m. that one of my client's sites was down You know, I didn't catch it till eight o'clock. I had to it was a weekend. I had to send an email. Then they replied back and they're like, this is four or five hours has gone by. Oh, we restarted PHP, which is essentially a fancy way to say they basically just restarted the service running my website and everything came back up. Well, that's great. That took five hours to do what was literally probably someone pushing a button. Right. It's so
0: the oldest like tech support thing in the book, turn it off and turn it back on again. Right. Exactly. <laughs>
1: yeah. And so in our world, that issue would have been resolved within under 15 seconds because within seconds, our platform would start getting uh, notifications that, you know, PHP is not responding or there's some fatal error. Right. And it would, the first thing it's going to do is try to restart the, the service. And so that would happen. That five-hour outage would have been probably under fifteen seconds.
0: That's awesome. Well, let's let's talk about auto scaling. Like, let's say we have an online course or a membership site, and one of our affiliates on Black Friday sends a ton of traffic. What does auto scaling actually do to help us absorb that hit of traffic?
1: Yeah, so that's a good point. So what what I'll do is just explain roughly how our technology works. And so when we deploy. Uh, what we call a cluster, okay, which is essentially a server footprint that your site's going to go on. Um, we deploy a minimum of three nodes or three servers on that cluster. And every layer of our architecture is broken out into different what we call containers. Now, that's a new tech word. Google and Facebook used container technology. Think of them as like micro VPSs right? It's a very small virtual private server that only runs specific segments or functions of your website. And so in our tech stack, we start with sort of uh, load balancers, right? And then we hit our caching level. And then we have your WordPress website. Then we have a, a database cluster. That's actually one of the things that we do differently. Everybody uses a database cluster. So there's your, your database is running on multiple servers. In multiple nodes all the time. There's no there's no notion of a single instance of MySQL on our platform. So and that's then we also
0: have, a lack of a single point of failure. That's well.
1: exactly right. And so what yes. we've tried to do by architecting this platform this way is we've basically said we've taken the whole WordPress virtual private server thing, which is one set of resources on a physical machine. And we've sort of flipped it on its head, and we've said, we're going to separate all this technology not into single resources on a physical machine, but multiple resources on multiple servers. And what that allows you to do is your actual uh, instance of WordPress, because we're using load balancers, can replicate itself. So as soon as your instance or your website starts to come under load, if it hits some peak level, based on your plan and your capacity, we, we replicate a copy of it. And then we start to distribute the load between both of those instances. Um, and then we replicate another copy and you can go up to, you know, any number of replicated instances of your website running simultaneously. Then what's really nice about it is you don't have to choose. The best part about this is, everybody gets this technology on our platform you don't have to choose like a different package go in and subscribe to the next tier we will scale out your website and then as soon as the traffic subsides we collapse it back in we scale it in and you only pay for the additional usage during that expanded period of time
0: is that usage-based pricing what you mean by platform as a service or what is platform as
1: a service yeah so I don't like to think of us as a hosting provider because we're so radically different. And and part of this is like, you know, I know everyone understands what hosting is. Um, but, you know, I don't think necessarily of Amazon as a, a hosting provider. And so the technical term of a, a pass or a platform as a service is Amazon would be an infrastructure as a service provider. Right. And so um, you probably would not have people, in a lot of people going to that, because you have to have deep system administration knowledge to set that stuff up. Um, and so, a platform as a service is really the next step of simplifying the usage of an infrastructure provider. And so, because we allow you to control settings like you know, you can pick different resource usages, you can control your scaling. We feel like we're the sort of one step removed from an infrastructure provider, but we're not a hosting provider where you might say, I need to deploy a single website, right? Or 10 websites. Every single site that you deploy on our system has its own set of dedicated resources.
0: Wow, that's super cool. Um, There's something you said in there I wanna come back to, but before we go to that, um, I wanted to look at something I saw let's see, where was it? It was a, It was something about not your average hosting company where you, you rely on like cPanel, Nginx and some things. Correct. Yeah. Can you speak to, can you clarify what that message was and, and what the, the angle is there?
1: Sure. I mean, the dirty truth in the hosting space is most hosting providers are pretty much all the same. I hope that doesn't get me in trouble with <laughs> uh, my peers out there. But you know, cPanel is the predominant technology for managing websites that are on servers being hosted, right? Isn't
0: uh, Plesk another one?
1: Yeah, Plesk is another one. There's a yeah. few others out there. Yeah. Um, and there's great tools that, that, I mean, they've done an amazing job. cPanel's done a phenomenal job. Um, it's What we did was we said, look, if we could reimagine this platform, we didn't want to use anything off the shelf when we were building our platform because we just thought that is, there's a lot of people out there simply me tooing one another, right? It does not take any sophistication to, you know, buy a server, install cPanel, set up a website and call yourself a hosting provider, right? And that's a viable business for a lot of people. And I, I'm not knocking it. It's just, It's not what we do. We're a product-centric team of people that's trying to innovate some technology. And so what we've done is really, I think, the next step or evolution in hosting. And, you know, to the point of like, you know, what's the difference? Our control panel is really simple to use. It's easy. It's fast. It's focused just on what the WordPress hosting provider needs and the things that you would not find in those traditional solutions that is relevant to our um, platform, like container management and things like that.
0: That's cool. Well, I'm a, I'm a copywriter by just development. I, it's not, I wasn't classically trained at it. I've just been working on it for a very long time. So when I see a good uh, tagline, I really like to dig in. You said the last part of your tagline is for creating and managing. A lot of times the focus is on just managing, but what did you put creating in there? So what's talk about creating and managing and why you chose to use both uh, verbs there.
1: Sure. Yeah. I think that we, we are very focused on, well, I feel like the creative agency space is extremely underserved, right? There's a lot of things that, um, Are important to agencies and creators and especially those creating many sites right or managing portfolios of sites and it's those types of things that I think you know we saw and much to their credit flywheel right Uh, has had been focused on that space um, pretty heavily right and they did a great job focusing on agencies and creators and building tools for them uh, and services. And I think that's sort of a, uh, I'm an agency guy by, you know, early in my career, I started in the, in the agency space and owned an agency. And so I'm really, um, I'm really sort of uh, motivated by helping agency owners solve the hassle of managing their portfolio of sites from the creation of them to the just managing an update of them. So Um, our goal is really to build tools that let people create and manage their portfolio of sites. Um, today, you know, I'm not entirely sure we don't, we don't, where we don't go is we're not building competitors to like page builders and things like that. So we're not an actual system to help you physically create your WordPress site. Um, but something that you would use during the creation process.
0: That's cool. Um. A long time ago, somebody told me, like, uh, or they were just trying to give me some advice and protect me from myself. And they said, that, uh, "You don't want to get into the software business; it's hard, and you're not a programmer, Chris." And I've heard a lot of people say the same things about, um, oh, like hosting seems like it's easy money, or but then the the, the advice always comes in, oh, oh you don't want to get into hosting; you don't want your phone to ring when, um, you know, somebody's site goes down on Christmas or whatever. Uh, what what do you have to say to hosting is hard or why did you decide to tackle such a a huge problem that that has a lot of risk and people are really there's a lot of state high stakes on the line especially when the website is the business not just a brochure for the business
1: yeah absolutely well i think i will answer that in a couple different parts okay uh i get asked this question a lot and um So uh, let me recap a little bit by telling you somewhat of my personal journey that got me here because it lays the foundation of why I chose to do this. And that is, you know, so I was working, started in an agency, eventually wound up uh, at a software company uh, running marketing and really found my niche. And 10 years ago, I relocated from Florida to San Francisco, rolled the dice on a startup uh, in the property technology space. Uh, founded by some ex Salesforce guys early. This was in the um, you know early two thousands, late nineties.
0: Like a real estate SaaS, is that what you're yeah, saying? Exactly, real okay. estate
1: SaaS designed for property management. Actually, okay. Um, we sold that product uh, about a year after I got to the Bay Area, and then a year later, we took that company, RealPage, public. And I stayed on with RealPage another five years, and. You know, it's been eight years now since RealPage has gone public, and it was the first unicorn in the property management space—the first company to have an IPO worth over a billion dollars. It was a big deal. If you look at the property technology space now, there's been billions of dollars put into venture capital into that space. Um, there is. Lots of money. There's hundreds of startups that have occurred. It's exploded. There's multiple companies that have had IPOs or are going to have IPOs. Um, There are people being acquired for hundreds of millions of dollars by larger players. That space was validated and verified when uh, RealPage had its IPO. If you look at the WordPress space now, um, I, I think there's a lot of people in the WordPress space who have been here for a long time. And they look at it and they go, the market is crowded. It's, you know, it's so competitive. And they're looking at it from the perspective of where it might have been 10 years ago. And my outside perspective on this is as soon as we have, you know, look at the things that have happened in the last six months, right? Uh, WP Engine acquires Flywheel, who Flywheel gets from zero to 18 million in annual recurring revenue in six years, okay? And keep in mind, the space is is accelerating as time goes on. Growth is accelerating in the space. WordPress is now 35% of the market. Um, you've got Salesforce making a strategic investment into Automatic of $300 million. You've got WP Engine after that acquisition said they're going to have a billion-dollar-plus IPO. When, when, when Salesforce, or I'm sorry, when WP Engine has its IPO, That is going to drastically change the landscape of this market. Um, It's going to start growing, I think, even faster. And you're going to have automatic follow with an IPO probably sometime in the next, you know, three plus years. Uh, And so I think in the next two to three years, you're going to see a couple major companies go public. It's going to legitimize this. You're going to see institutional money start to come into this. VCs are going to start to pay attention to WordPress, which feels like, It's a bit of still a grassroots, very much because it started that way, a grassroots industry. And I think there's going to be a lot of change over the next five years in the WordPress space. And so I'm extremely uh, positive-minded about what's happening in WordPress. And that's why I think now is a great time to get into WordPress as an ecosystem. Why we chose to get into hosting? It's something I was personally frustrated that I hadn't seen the the technology uh, evolution in. And then, you know, we're actually, we're extremely driven by creating systems. Like, it doesn't bother us to be on call 24 hours a day. We're the team that's going to stand in the gap for you. Um, You know, we take the responsibility of making sure people's sites are up and running Really seriously, you know, every site on our platform is monitored down to the minute level, twenty-four hours a day. If there is ever the slightest hiccup on someone's site, we have a team of people that are engaged in fixing it, no matter what the time is, you know, what the holiday is—Christmas, New Year's, Thanksgiving—we're there.
0: That's awesome. <clears throat> what what would you say, just kind of in general? What is the current state of the hosting industry? And what I mean by that is, I just have a general feel, and this is not for me. It's just stuff I hear from users and customers where they get really frustrated with their web hosting, or they feel like they're hitting a wall, and they're or they're um they just can't understand the the, the support they get. A, like support that is like way too technical, or they're just not. There's like a disconnect on the communication. It just seems like it's an industry ripe for disruption on all kinds of levels. But what what are some of the biggest problems with modern hosting, especially for people running WordPress sites?
1: Sure. Well, I think that the technology is a problem. I think the... Which where I hope, you know, our goal is to address that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think that uh, a lot of times the fact that everyone is providing you know the the market was treated as a commodity right a, you know a long time ago there was a race to the bottom you know everyone was like 99 cent hosting you know like i mean we've all seen this type of stuff
0: and there's a lot so of consolidation market, of hosting companies and like yeah, streamlining and outsourcing right. the support and a lot of that exactly. kind of thing. yeah
1: and but what's happened is people will begin to realize so there's been this sort of these this um opposite directional curve right where it's like hosting has been going down 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 for a long time but the sophistication and dependence on e-commerce and the market has been going up and so as people begin to realize i've got a substantial business here i can't run this on a 99 cent a month you know business or a hosting solution and so i think the market is changing and what's happened is i don't see enough change in the hosting provider space to keep up with that and so I'll give you another example is and this is something we're doing that's kind of interesting is you know because we're focused a lot on helping agencies we offer people uh, support via slack okay now we have in-app support and email ticket support but I think email ticketing support is like so 10 years ago um so what we've done is we're sort of piloting this new idea of we bring agencies into our Slack organization and then they have they have access 24-7 to our team uh, and various people on the team, right? Just like you would if you were in a Slack channel with a bunch of other people. And we give people real-time support, uh, you know, as they, they need it uh, via Slack. And that could be for billing issues. It could be, and so what we found is, we act almost like an extension of their agency as their sort of technology team for their hosting of their sites and their servers. And that has been extremely encouraging to see how much people really like that. Um, That is the new way, I think, of working. This idea of sending tickets in. And I think even calling people. I know a lot of people like to call, pick up the phone and call folks. Um, But I think most people nowadays are really comfortable in a chat type of uh, format. And, um, you know, I know there's going to be people, a lot lot of the other stuff too is we tend to do a lot of stuff for our customers. Sometimes we'll have people who will be like, well, I want to know how to do it. Right. So if someone's like, can you apply an SSL to our site? Yeah, you can find, you can watch a really quick 30 second tutorial and do it yourself. But if you, you ask like, Hey, how do I do an SSL? We'll probably just go in and do it for you. You know, And so we like to over-service our customers at this point because we're trying to build raving fans who feel like our hosting is something radically different than the experience that they've had by other providers.
0: That's awesome. I was looking at your pricing page, and I wanted to ask you about caching, particularly because I see people on low-end uh, economical hosts one of the ways they are able to be cheap is they cash the heck out of everything, which doesn't necessarily work for a dynamic e-commerce, LMS, or membership site. Sure. Um, and so they get into trouble where like their users can't log in or people are getting redirected to places they shouldn't be and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have basic containers, high-traffic containers, and compute-intensive containers. Um, in the context of... of I guess in general, like how are your tiers different? Like how do you define those? And also can you speak to caching and which one you would recommend for somebody running a membership site in the LMS um, where, where they should start or, or where they should be, right. whether they're a beginner or they're, they're already at a, like a high traffic state.
1: Yeah. One of the things that's really nice about our platform is we allow your site to run in multiple containers simultaneously. Right. And so uh, that is really one of the big differences between us and a lot of other other companies that are out there, um, definitely the traditional uh, providers. And so I would say, you know, we recognize, again, we've we're working with people that have all sorts of different requirements. The local landscaper, plumber, you know, doctor is not going to need a super compute intensive uh, website. Um, there's also a segment of the crowd that we've found out there that are very high traffic bloggers. Okay. Mm-hmm. And we wanted to provide a level of service that would allow the agency who's doing local business websites to come in at a lower price, apply the, another tier that would allow people who might be spending a lot of money on VPSs uh, on various providers, digital Ocean, Google cloud, but they don't really need a ton of, um, you know, compute resources, but they have a lot of traffic. They've got, and so a lot of hosting providers will price them up in tiers because they're getting a ton of traffic, even though there's really not. It's it's all static content with caching, right? It's just a, a food blog or something. <clears throat> and then lastly, there are those that are doing real sort of application stuff in their their tech, like e-commerce membership sites lms sites all that type of stuff so we really tried to make three plans that would allow people to get in at those different tiers and the idea for us was that on that third tier which is the one i'd recommend for and by the way i don't think we we're not saying you have to be on this tier these are our sort of recommendations right um, absolutely, if you wanted to be on a higher tier than we recommended, you could do that. And we don't restrict people on the lower tiers from putting an LMS system, as an example, or an e commerce store. But these are guidelines we sort of have. And it says, you know, look, if you're a compute intensive um, uh, product or service, you're probably going to need more memory, vCPUs, more processing power in your container. And then you still get that scaling technology even on all these these tiers, right? so you still get the ability to scale up if you have a surge of traffic
0: wow that's that's super cool. I mean what I'm kind of seeing just just looking at this is it seems like it's uh it's like more value like it's it's cheaper and better at the same time, which is like a really disrupting force which i'm I'm really excited to learn more about convesio. In terms of disruption, also, before we started hitting record, we were talking about equity crowdfunding. And can you tell us the Convesio story and what it's doing with the equity crowdfunding and what that is?
1: Absolutely. Sure. So, um, you know, like any sort of typical Bay Area SaaS CEO, um, you know, I uh, had for the beginning stages of Convesio self-funded the platform to To build it and get sort of a a basic minimal product designed, and uh, we started getting some great feedback, and we decided we want to go go out and you know take this thing to the world, and so we had to make a decision on raising some capital to do that. And you know, I had originally thought, well, I'll just go the traditional route of venture capital. um, You know, that had worked a couple times before in other businesses uh, that I'd been in, and you know, the thing about getting VC money is that, one, we're fortunate in the Bay Area that there's such a high density of VCs. That's not the case for everybody, right? So VC money, if you're in the middle of the country, can be hard to come by. Um, and so also raising venture capital money is a, you know, it's more than a full-time job. I mean, it's a lot of time and energy. I have a friend of mine who, you know, Tracked every single VC meeting he had in six months, and he had three hundred meetings with VC companies, from coffees to meet and greets, and he wound up getting two people. Now we know as marketers that's a horrible (laughs) conversion rate. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) so that's not a great conversion rate. And at some point in this VC journey, I was like, "Well, this feels like it's a lot of work, and I I could be seven, eight, ten months before I get somebody on the hook." And so. A buddy of mine came to me and said, hey, you should look at equity crowdfunding. I just raised a million bucks for my startup, which was in the cryptocurrency space. And, uh, you know, I'll I'll introduce you to these guys at a company called WeFunder. And so what equity crowdfunding is or sometimes referred to as regulation CF, regulation crowdfunding. In 2016, I believe it was when the Jobs Act was passed by Obama, it changed the, the rules on who could invest in startups. Previously, in order for you to invest, you had to be an accredited investor, which means you have either a um, income over $200,000 for the last three years sustained or a net worth over a million dollars. And basically, you know, it was something that high net worth individuals did, right? Is they invested in startups. Well, when they removed that regulation, what they did was they said, okay, you can invest up to a certain amount of money into startups and you don't have to be a credited investor. And so this gave rise to the easiest way to think about it is investing meets Kickstarter. So in our case, um, we went this route and we raised about $1.2, $1.3 million from almost 850 investors. I think our, our final count was like somewhere around, I don't know, 840. And that segment consisted of customers. It it consisted of WordPress fans out in the marketplace that liked what we're doing. Just like you said, wow, this sounds like it's pretty good. And people invested everything from a hundred dollars up to, you know, tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars. And so you have the ability to sort of control, um, you know, who you're going out to. And I think someone put it really great. They said, You know, equity crowdfunding gives people who are passionate about what you're doing the ability to get behind your business because of other reasons than trying to get an exponential return like a VC would. Venture capitalists are concerned really with one thing, which is getting an end return on their portfolio. Equity crowdfunding people invest for all sorts of different reasons, uh, you know, that are are sometimes more aligned with this future success of the business than simply just profit.
0: That's super cool. And I mean, it's WordPress, so we're trying to democratize everything. So democratizing, uh, you know, raising funding is, is a super cool concept that I personally wasn't that familiar with. I wish I had known about that when you guys were open. Um, what, what does it, how does it work like for the person who invests a hundred or 200 bucks um, like they're still, are they still getting a, a little small piece of the equity pie, just like yeah. a $10,000 or more investor?
1: Absolutely. Great question. And, and this is something that I would say one of the biggest things working against equity crowdfunding is a lot of people in the industry think it's like Kickstarter where you really get nothing. Okay. You don't own a, a component of the business.
0: And the smaller you invest, usually the less, the, the less valuable, right. the, I mean the, uh, yeah. what do they call it? The incentive or the prize or so whatever. Sort of, yeah, or whatever yeah. Yeah.
1: So um, in equity, and by the way, so equity crowdfunding is all regulated by the SEC. You have to file your paperwork with the SEC. It's regulated by FINRA. Um, it's an extremely, you know, you have to have your financials um, reviewed by independent CPA There's all sorts of, um, you know, official hoops you have to go through to do this type of fundraising. So it's not something like a Kickstarter campaign where you can just poof, set it up and anyone can come invest. There is months of work and preparation that have to go into setting these campaigns up to make them both legal and successful. And so one of the things I'll say is that you pick as the, um, you know, as as the company, you choose what type of financial mechanism or agreement. There's various different types. Some of them do convertible debt, which is sort of like financing, which converts to equity. Um, some of them do revenue-based financing, whereas the company grows, they pay shareholders back a certain amount of money. We chose to go with the, a mechanism called a safe agreement, which is very popular. It was it was pioneered by Y Combinator, a really popular startup um, incubator. Uh, and so basically uh, the safe agreement Uh, Yes, we'll convert that money that you invest in the company into real equity uh, of the company. And so you actually will own a piece of the business, unlike Kickstarter. Uh, And so, yes, you know, you you if you invest more, you own a larger chunk. And if you invest less, you own a lesser chunk. But it's all based on the same economics at every investment level. There's no favoritism based on how much you invest.
0: That's super cool. And in, besides giving up a piece of your company, like the actual equity, did you lose or in any way, do you lose control over the decision making or the operations in terms of like board of directors or anything like that? Or is it purely a financial instrument? Like in exchange for your money, I'm giving you a piece of the company. And if we exit one day, you get your piece of the pie. Is it pretty straightforward like that?
1: or? It can be, yes. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's also very much driven by the um, the company and the leaders of the company. And if you have a board of your company already, that, that board. But I will tell you that um, under the SAFE agreement that we use, uh, and so this was an adapted SAFE agreement created sort of off of an original SAFE agreement by WeFunder, uh, and there's several companies just to throw out a few others. There's a, uh, you know, start engine is another good one. There's seed invest, which is another good one. And some of them specialize in different sort of categories. Maybe some are more consumer focused. Others might be more B2B. Um, and, but, but to answer your question, uh, you know, basically you control how you want to do that. And with uh, crowd equity crowdfunding, because you're going to have hundreds of people. Uh, it is it's going to be very difficult if you had to vote on any sort of actions. So we funders safe consolidates all of the people under one lead investor. And so Mm. that one lead investor is the person who is, uh, you have to go to if you want to get any voting, um, you know, done. And so there's mechanisms that make it very simple for that. And, unlike, and it's not super common on a seed round that you would have a VC that would insist that you put a board in place from what I've seen. and Maybe other people can, you know, give different experiences on that. But, uh, in this case, you're not, you're not regulated to put any sort of board or advisory team or anything like that. That's totally driven by the, 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 the leadership team of the company. And that's one of the things that people, uh, you know, People that are doing financing through WeFunder like is that it really puts a lot of the control on the business still, so you can make those decisions that you think are best for your company.
0: That's awesome. Well, I've learned a lot today from you, Tom. If if you're listening to this, just I'm curious as the CEO of Lifter LMS, if you're interested in investing as a user into Lifter, send me a private message on Twitter or Facebook or wherever. I'd just be curious to explore this idea of crowdfunding. Because, like you're saying, it can convessio, How cool is it for an actual customer to invest in the company that kind of hosts their business? There's like this virtuous cycle, as opposed to not the outside money is bad, but it's it's not. There's more. There's more skin in the game than purely a portfolio being a portfolio piece in a um, you know in an investment portfolio for a financial person who does that. That's their business, but it doesn't really have anything to do with the company they're investing in, besides if they're successful. So,
1: yeah, I agree. And I definitely think, you know, I don't think we did as good of a job getting the word out to the WordPress community because I think a lot of times when we tried to share this with various, you know, media outlets in WordPress, they didn't know what to make of this because it's still somewhat of a new type of thing. And I think I, my one of my hopes is that we're sort of leading the way that other WordPress businesses who are interested in doing this would take the steps to start to, start to, to look into doing this because the model works so well for us as a community-driven ecosystem, right? Um, if we can have businesses that are owned by the community and we mutually benefit from the coming success that i just sort of articulated a few minutes ago and why i think the wordpress space is is still at the very beginning of its story um i think that is an amazing way to create wealth it's also an amazing way to create community-centric products and services that you know the community actually can own a portion of so I would say, if anyone's interested in listening to this, feel free to reach out to me. I'm happy to talk to anybody about, um, you know, equity crowdfunding and and if it might apply to their business.
0: That's awesome. Well, Tom, I really appreciate having you on the show. Convesio.com. Go check that out as a WordPress host. Any final words for the course builders and the membership site creators out there about your hosting option?
1: No, I think we pretty much covered everything and uh, I appreciate you having us on the show.
0: Absolutely. Well, that's Tom Finelli at Confessio.com. Thanks so much. We'll have to do this again sometime.
1: All right. Thanks, Chris.
0: And that's a wrap for this episode of LMS Cast. I'm your guide, Chris Badgett. I hope you enjoyed the show. This show was brought to you by Lifter LMS, the number one tool for creating, selling, and protecting, engaging online courses to help you get more revenue, freedom, and impact in your life. Head on over to lifterlms.com and get the best gear for your course creator journey. Let's build the most engaging results getting courses on the internet.